Good morning. Am I allowed to say Happy New Year, even though it's not quite New Year's yet? It goes by quick, doesn't it? Does it bother anyone else that tomorrow you're going to walk in a CVS and the entire aisle will be Valentine's Day? <laughs> Home Depot, same thing. I, they are, it's already there. Somebody, yeah. Man, they are on top of it. Okay, so it's that time of year, isn't it? Where we sit down and we start to make our lists, our New Year's resolutions. We start to make these lists that make us feel better, and we, we're going to... Because everyone knows you can't start a diet until Monday, right? And then you, <laughs> and you, you can't start to make changes in your life until New Year's, and you make these New Year's resolutions. And maybe your, your list looks something like this, that you want to eat better, you want to lose weight, you're going to stop cussing, you're going to quit smoking, and you're going to quit drinking. And the last three are just from the 8 o'clock service. <laughs> no, it's not my list. I'm not ready to stop these things yet. <laughs> so we, we start to make these lists, and I started asking around this week, why is it we make these New Year's resolutions? And ultimately, it came down to, we want to be better. We want to be improved. We, we want to have better versions of ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be better or improved. I want to be transformed. Amen? So with that in mind, maybe my list is supposed to look a little different. Maybe my list is supposed to say, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to join a small group. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with either one of those lists, right? But those are all good things on those lists. But this morning, I want to encourage you to look at something else. Instead of making a list based on what you want to do, how about making a list based on what God is calling you to do? Do you ever go into the new year asking God, what is it you want me to do? We tend to jump right into, this is what I'm going to do based on what I'm comfortable with. And to be honest, we do not make it past February when it comes to that. <laughs> so every year I come up with a theme or a motto, a battle cry, if you will. And this year is don't be afraid. And that's actually the title of today's sermon, Don't Be Afraid. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask God what he wants of us because we're afraid of the answer. Today, we're going to look at a passage and hopefully walk away confident in who our God is. And we can encourage one another not to be afraid to do what God is calling us to do. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to just take a moment. Let's bow our heads and just reflect for a moment. I want to invite you to ask God what it is he is calling you to do this year. Maybe it's sharing your faith with a neighbor. 
Maybe it's going on that missions trip. Maybe it's reconciling that relationship. Maybe it's something he's been asking to do for a long time now, but for some reason, you just haven't done it yet. Maybe, maybe you've been afraid to take that step. Now, let's just pause for a minute and ask God to put something on your heart. Lord, sometimes when we sit like this, it gets uncomfortable. You wonder, how long are we going to sit in silence? Because we're not used to listening. We're not used to sitting still long enough to, to hear it is what you're saying. So, Lord, I pray this morning that we are listening. Lord, I, I know you're faithful to always be speaking. So I pray this morning that we are listening as you put on our hearts what it is you are calling each of us individually to do this year. There is a difference between these are all the things that I want to do for you, Lord, and what it is you are calling us to do. So Lord, as you do that, I, I pray for each person in this room that you will give them clarity that you will give them wisdom, courage, and strength to do that very thing that you're placing on their hearts. And I pray that you would be with us and guide us in our studies this morning. Lord, as we reflect back on this last year, we thank you for your faithful provision to us as a church. As we lift up our year-end giving now, Lord, thank you so much for the the faithful giving of this church. Lord, we ask that you would just continue to take that and multiply it. Use it for your glory, Lord, that your name would be proclaimed. Lord, you are worthy, so worthy of our praise. Guide us this morning as we study. In your name I pray, amen. So today, we're gonna take a look back at the life of Elijah. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll be starting in verse 7. So a couple years ago, Bruce asked me to preach on New Year's, and he said, hey, why don't you do Elijah Mount Carmel? So he did that, and this year, Bruce said, hey, you're up at New Year's again. This time, I want you to do Elijah, but this time, take a look at the story of the widow, so if you're not familiar with the story of Elijah, there's um, a lot going on there, but I'll give you a little context, a little backstory leading up to where we're at today. So you have Elijah. He is from Tishba. That's like saying you're from Fresno. <laughs> I'm allowed to make that joke because my wife's from Fresno. So um, pray for me when I get home tonight because I'm going to be in trouble. So you have Elijah's from Tishba, just the middle of nowhere, and he comes out of nowhere, and the Lord asks him to go and give a message to the king. Now, the king is Ahab, and he marries this woman named Jezebel. 
Okay, now Jezebel brought with her into the kingdom Baal worship. Now, Baal was the god of fertility. Amongst other things, they prayed to him for rain. They believed that, hey, he's the one that's going to provide rain. So God wasn't too happy with Ahab and Jezebel and their worship of Baal. So he thought, I'm going to teach them a lesson and I'm going to send them a message. So he sends Elijah out of Fresno over there and he says, hey, I want you to go before the king and Jezebel and give them a message. And this was the message he gave, said, surely as the real God, the God of Israel lives, it will not rain again other than my word. Okay, you with me? And then Elijah is told by God to go and hang out by a brook in Kareth. And while you're by that brook, I'm going to provide for you through ravens. Now, we're told in the book of James that it didn't rain for three and a half years. And during that time, the Lord provided for Elijah through these ravens. In the morning, they would bring him a little bread, a little bit of meat. The evening, they would bring him a little bit of bread and a little bit of meat. And he'd do this through the ravens. Now, a couple years ago, Larry Marinholtz, he was serving as an usher. He came to me one Sunday morning and said, hey, Mike, there's a visitor out front. He's in the foyer, and I don't know if I should let him in. It's kind of a strange request. Can you uh, clarify a little bit? He goes, nah, I just think you better come and help me out. <laughs> All right. So I went out to the front foyer, and there was a raven sitting in the foyer, and he was hopping. That's my best raven impression, by the way. <laughs> The thing about this raven was somebody painted his talons, his toenails, for lack of a better term, pink. So he had a raven hopping around the foyer with his little pink fingernails going on. And I don't know what he was doing there, but knowing this story, I was like, we better pay attention. <laughs> I don't know what he's, God's going to do through a raven on a Sunday morning. So I didn't let him come in, but he went and he sat on the wall and he stayed there for three services. I don't know. He was somebody's pet. But Elijah had these ravens bringing him food every morning and every afternoon. Well, the rest of the kingdom, the territory was drying up. And that brings us to where we're at today in verse 7. You with me? Okay, so if you'd be so kind to stand for the reading of God's word. First Kings 17, starting verse 7. Sometime later, the, book, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Seraphath, the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Seraphath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I can have a drink? She was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son, 
For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Thank you, you may be seated. So again, we have Elijah who was called by God to bring a message to the king saying it's not gonna rain. And he puts him by the brook and he provides for him as the rest of the territory is drying up. I can imagine that this was a really intimate time between God and Elijah. As Elijah is learning to trust in God and his provision. But I'm sure he noticed that slowly the the brook was drying up. We've all kind of been there in our lives, haven't we? Where we've seen God providing and then it starts to change a little bit. I wonder if, if Elijah was at that point and he noticed that the brook was drying up and I wonder if he got worried. I wonder if he was sitting there saying, uh, it's getting a little drier. I'm starting to see some rocks I didn't see before. And then the day came when God calls him to make a move. He says, I want you to go to Sidon. Now, Sidon was 100 miles away. It's not like you can just call an Uber and go, right? It's 100 miles away, but Sidon is where Jezebel was originally from. This is where she was once a princess. This was Baal territory. This is 100 miles away through drought-stricken enemy territory. I mean, if I were Elijah... I would be, um, God, can't you just command that brook to give a little bit more water? Are you, are you sure you want me to go all the way to Sidon? I've seen what you're capable of doing. I mean, I have ravens bringing me bread and meat. Can't you just have the brook bring me a little bit more water? Do I really need to go through that enemy territory? It's funny how we start to play those games in our head, isn't it? And we start to come up with excuses or solutions when we feel like God is calling us to go outside our comfort zone. Well, God, it, it, I get it. I, I know you want me to do that, but wouldn't it make more sense if I did it this way? So-and-so is so much more equipped. Don't you want to send them instead? And we start to play these, these games in our head and justify things or come up with excuses and come up with different solutions instead of just saying, yes, God. I think we can all relate to those feelings. Now, I don't know if that's what's going on in Elijah's head at the time. But I can think of times in my head when that's happened in my life. So in 2005... I got to go serve in Ecuador as a missionary. I lived in Quito, Ecuador. I went down a couple times on short-term trips, and I fell in love with the country. And I felt like God was calling me to go and serve as a, as a missionary there. And I spent years preparing. And I had a pastor at the time said, I'm not just going to send you. You, you got to do some work, and you got to get ready. And so for five years, he had me preparing to be a missionary doing a lot of work in my heart and 
everywhere in my life, just preparing to go and serve. So I felt like I was ready. I was prepared when that time came. What I wasn't ready for was that I had met my wife. I fell in love. I was Twitter pated. <laughs> we were madly in love and we knew that this was headed somewhere. This was the girl that I wanted to marry. But God was also calling me to go be a missionary. I had a lot of people mad at me. Mike, we love Audra. As a matter of fact, we'll keep her and get rid of you. My family said that more than once. But how could you even think about moving away and leaving Audra? How could that even cross your mind? Clearly, God has other plans. Maybe you guys are supposed to get married, and then you, then you go to the missions field together, and those solutions and excuses and everything started coming up. And my answer was, was this. If I didn't go, then I wouldn't be the man she fell in love with. Because I had to put my calling, what God was asking me to do, first as much as I loved this girl, as much as I wanted to be with her, I had to answer what God was calling me to do. So Audra and I sat down and we prayed and said, God, if this relationship is what you want, then we ask that you would make it stronger. If it's not, then close the door. And it was a step of faith for us. We've been married for 17 years. Sometimes God is going to ask us to take that step of faith. And sometimes it's not always going to make sense. And it's going to take us out of our comfort zone at times. Yeah, that was an example where I think I made the right choice, right? I can give you 500 examples where I didn't. But for Elijah, at this point, this is one of those moments for him. He had to trust God and go to Seraphath. Are you sure, God? A hundred miles through drought-stricken territory into enemy territory? That, that's where they're worshiping Baal. They're all pretty mad at me right now. I'm the guy that said it wasn't going to rain, and now you want to send me right into the lion's den. You want to send me right into the middle of all of that. Are you sure that's what you want me to do? He had to take a step of faith and trust God. So let's look at verse 10. So he went to Seraphath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little jar a little water in a jar so that I might have a drink. As she's going to get it, he called, bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's all she has left. This is it. 
So for a widow at the time, she would have been pretty destitute, completely dependent on others. And it's pretty clear in her position, this is all I have left. We're just going to go take that and make a final meal before we, before we die. And along comes Elijah and says, hey, can I get some water and something to eat? It's not like she's out in the woods and she's gathering wood. She's at the city gate and she's just scrounging up scraps, little sticks and twigs, kindling, just enough to make a little bit of fire so that she can make a little bit of bread so that she can have one more meal with her and her son before she dies. And notice her response in verse 12. She says, the Lord, your God. She's given up hope in this Baal guy. This God, Baal, who they're worshiping in this territory for rain. You know, the rain that hasn't happened in years. That's brought her to the point now where her and her son are about to die. It's one thing to acknowledge that you're about to die, but when you watch your child, your child come to the point where they're going to die, you've lost hope. You've given up on Baal, and she's acknowledging the Lord, your God, the living God, your God, the living God. Look at verses 13 and 14. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jar of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. Elijah says, don't be afraid. How are you responding at this point? Are you looking at the jar, eyeballing it, measuring it, asking, do I have enough? Do I have enough to do what this guy is asking me to do? Do, do I have enough to go and make a little bit of bread for him and the, enough for me and my son to have one more meal? So I guess my question for you is why are you looking at the jar? Look to the Lord. God calls us to something and immediately we want to do inventory to see if it makes sense. Hey, Mike, I want you to go do this. Okay, let me just do the math, God. Let me, let me see if I have the reason. Let me see if it, if it makes sense. Well, yeah, Mike, that's called wisdom, is it? If you truly know that God is calling you to do something, does it really need to make sense? We start looking at our jars. Honestly, we're just looking for a way out. We're looking for something to not line up so we can say, see, 
maybe God isn't calling me to it because it doesn't really align. There's, there's not enough there to make it work, so God must not really be calling me to that. Don't be afraid. Elijah says that there will be enough for each day. Now, God could have filled that jar, couldn't he? He could have just filled it all the way up. But God usually doesn't do that, does he? There's just a little bit in it for each day. Enough that shows that he is providing, but not enough to take their attention away from the need for his provision. Their desperate need for him, just like we all have. See, God often calls us to something and yet doesn't always provide the the means or the answers all at once. We have to trust him and obey day after day and watch as he provides. And trust, he's going to show me the next step. He's, he's going to provide what I need for the next thing when I need it. Because honestly, what would happen if he just filled this jar up? I would lose sight. I would lose sight of the purpose, the call that he had me. And I would, oh, I, got, I have everything I need right here. And sometimes I would think that I was the one providing for what I needed that day. He gives us what we need when we need it to keep us dependent on him, to keep us focused on him. And sometimes we get frustrated with that. Saying, God, why do you, why do you have to just give me enough? Why can't I have it all at once? Man, there's times when it gets fresh and the other times when I'm so grateful that he just gives me enough because it keeps me on my knees. It keeps my eyes directed towards him, my heart directed towards him. God often makes us step out before he shows us how it works, doesn't he? He wants us to take that step of faith and then he'll show us. The Bible's full of examples of that. Look at the the walls of Jericho. It says, all right, I want you to march around the wall one time for six days. Once, Once a day for six days. The seventh day, I want you to get around seven times to blow your trumpets and then the walls come down. Could he have just made the walls come down? Yes. But he wants them to take a step of faith. He wants them to do something, and then he'll show us his power, his might, how he's going to work. And there are times when, when God, it just doesn't seem to make sense on what's going to happen next. And there's other times when God is very clear about what he wants us to do, And honestly, I just don't want to do it. See, I want to see the miraculous before I get off my couch. 
okay, God, you show me something amazing and then I'll join you in doing it. Lord, I know that you're calling me to something. You call some others to get it started and I'm right there. God, I, I want to see you working. I want to see you do something amazing and then, then I'm all in. And often God is just saying, Take a step out, trust in who I am, don't be afraid, and then, then I'll show you what I'm all about. Don't be afraid to be obedient and trust God. Take that step, and he'll show you what's next. So let's look at what happened in verse 15. So she went away and did what Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. No surprise, right? This is what God said would happen. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. God was faithful to his promise. And he always will be. However, the next part of the story comes a bit of a surprise. Look at verse 17 and 18. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? What a hard place to be in. You have this woman who acknowledges the living God and is obedient and then her faith is tested. And her son is sick and dies. It's sometime later. Every day she sees this jar have enough to provide for them. And she's watching as, as this God that she now is discovering and learning about is doing this day after day after day. And suddenly her son is getting sick. And it's getting worse and worse. And he dies. We've all been there where we get confused by what God is doing, where we just don't understand, God, why? Why are you working like this? God, I don't understand exactly what you're doing. We see a door open only to have it closed again. We see a loved one's health improve only to see it decline. You do so well at that job interview only to not get the job. We're so confused. Like, God, what are you doing? God, I don't know. My emotions are like on a real roller coaster here. And I'm really confused by what you're doing. It's funny in verse 18, though. She points blame at Elijah and her own sin. See, we tend to look to blame rather than to look to God. 
Our first reaction isn't to look to God, the one we know that can redeem it all. We want to know the why and cast blame, and then we can try to fix it. Think about that for a moment in your own life. We've seen God do some amazing things in our life and some amazing things in our church. Yet if we're being honest, when something happens, we often look to find fault or blame first. Well, then we can turn to God that can redeem the situation in the first place. But first, I want to know what caused it. Why did this happen? I want to look at my jar and say, who took the oil and who took the flour? Rather than asking God to provide as he's done so many times. We want to cast blame so quickly. And we take our eyes off of the Lord. Why do we do that? But we all do, don't we? Instantly, something happens and it's like, oh, who did it? Why did this happen? Rather than keeping on our eyes on the Lord and trusting that he is going to prevail in the situation, it doesn't matter why it happened. What's interesting in her case, though, is that she looks at her own sin. Anybody else find this happening in their own hearts? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but there's sure as a heck a lot of that in my own heart. Sure is easy to want to blame myself for things happening in the world right now, bad things in my life. Well, clearly this is punishment for something that I've done in my past. That this was some kind of sin that I'm paying for. Now, we, we can say the truth and we can say that, you know, that's, that's a lie and I know it. And we can fight against it, right? The next day, the battle starts over again. And we look in the mirror and, and we fight the same battle. And sometimes, to be honest, it just gets exhausting. And we know that there's no condemnation. But we fight the same battle over and over again. And we know that our sins have been paid for. And yet we find ourselves sitting there looking in the mirror saying, you deserve this. It's because of what you did. You notice she says sin, singular. It's almost like that that one sin that she's been hanging on to. You know, we all have that, that one thing that we hope nobody ever finds out about. And I, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sins, but, but that one, that one's pretty bad. And that one I just kind of stuffed down and, and I carry with me and, and I hope that that one doesn't get found out. And I just pretend like that one doesn't exist. And I acknowledge that everything else is paid for, but that one... That, that one just kind of gnaws at me down deep. And when stuff starts to fall apart, that's the one that, that's the one that my heart reminds me of. That, that's the sin that I fight against the most. And my own heart says, hey, you know that one you've been trying to stuff down? That's probably the one that caused this. 
So when those thoughts happen, I want you to ask yourself, where's that thought coming from? Because it's not from God. You need to answer that question. Where is that thought coming from? And if it's not from God, then it's a lie. Here's the verse that you need to carry with you into the new year. Probably the, a great one for you to memorize this year. There's a challenge for this year. Memorize a verse. Yeah, it's probably one more than you memorized last year. Oh. Oh. First John, yeah, no condemnation. First John 3.20. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater. Imagine you're living in a small town and you owe money to the bank and the manager says, end of the year, I'm just going to write it off. I want to balance the books. I'm going to write that off. Being in a small town, the teller, she knows who you are. She doesn't like that it got written off and she still owes money. She sees you walking around town and she makes little comments. She sneers at you, rolls her eyes. It's not fair. See, the truth is the bank manager's like God. He's written it off. It's paid for, but a teller's like your heart. It's going to remind you of the bad things that you've done, remind you that you owe something. See, but this verse here, if your heart condemns you, you stand firm in the truth that God is greater than even what your own heart is throwing at you. And he knows everything. He knows every thought that you have, every battle that you face every day, every sin, even that one that you pretend isn't there. And he says it's paid for. So this, this woman, the widow, she's, she's fighting that battle. And her own heart is condemning her. And Elijah recognized what's going on here. And he goes to God. Look at verse 19. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing your son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. What an amazing God we serve, amen? There is so much that we can pull from this passage, whether it's Elijah's trust and obedience to God's faithfulness, 
To me, the, the widow's story is a direct reflection of, our, of a Christian's journey. You have a faith begun. You have this, this widow who's acknowledging God for the first time, acknowledging the living God to a faith being tested where, where she's having to trust that there will be enough. And then seeing her faith tested even more as her son dies to a, a faith triumphant as she sees God do a miracle and bring her child back to life. And we're all on this journey. And we're being called to take that step out in faith and trust in God as he calls us each into this journey of faith with him. And it's going to look a lot like this woman's journey of our, our faith beginning and being tested and ultimately triumphant. Because our faith will be tested. There's going to be hard times. So I look out and I know the stories of some of you are going through those hard times right now. But does it mean we just sit back out of fear and say, I'm not going to take any more steps? I'm just going to choose not to move anymore? See, my friends, in the end, we are going to stand triumphant with the Lord. Romans 8.18, I consider my present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed within us. And it almost seems trite to say that, knowing what some of you are going through right now. But that's the truth. It's not going to be worth comparing with what God has in store for us. That's what we have to look forward to. Not worth comparing with the glory to be in his presence for an eternity. For Elijah and this widow, they're being called to take these steps of faith. Telling Elijah, I want you to stand before the king and put yourself on the line. Then I want you to trust that I'm going to provide for you. Then I want you to go even farther and I want you to go to enemy territory and then trust there again that I'm going to provide for you. And for the widow to have to, to step away from what she's always believed in, what she's always depended on, to reach out and grab a hold of this new living God for the first time and watch as he provides and yet have that tested and to not be afraid. Okay, but what about you? So we started this morning reflecting on what God is calling you to do this year. Not what you want to do for him, but what it is he's calling you to do. And our take-home truth is actually going to be an action, a call to action, a fill-in-the-blank. It says, I will not be afraid to... What is it God is calling you to do? I, I get it. 
Some of you are like, I can't write that down. The person next to me is going to see it. There's accountability. <laughs> if, if you're not comfortable writing it down, just a little asterisk, a little symbol between you and God. So what is it that he is calling you to do this year? And just make that your statement in your heart. I will not be afraid to because of who my God is. Because of who my God has proven himself to be. See, when Elijah took that boy up into the room and he prayed and said, Lord, bring life back into this child. He didn't have any reference point. He couldn't open his Bible and say, oh, I see where Lazarus was brought back from the dead. There was no reference point for him to do this. It had never been done before. He simply believed in who God is. We, on the other hand, can open our Bibles and have story after story of a God who has proven himself over an eternity, miracle after miracle of being faithful, of doing the impossible, whether in here or in our own lives. We have lots of reference points, and yet we have such a hard time trusting him, not just with the big things, but with the little things too. But Elijah simply believed in who God is. Cornerstone, who is our God? Is he a made-up figment of your imagination? Is he the alpha and the omega, the very beginning and the end, the creator and the sustainer of all things? Then don't be afraid. Because his grace... And his mercy, his forgiveness, his provision, his love will not run out. Be obedient as we head off into this new year to what it is he is calling you to do, to who it is he is calling you to be. But my friends, we need each other more than ever to do that. We are a community and we need to lean on each other. Because we're going to have situations where our faith is tested and it's going to get hard. And we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and we can't blame each other. There's going to be times when our own hearts are going to want to condemn us and we need to be a community that leans on each other and says, hey, our God is greater. We need to lean on each other and say, don't be afraid to keep going. Don't be afraid to do that thing that God is calling you to do because of who our God is. Because of how much we love him and how much he loves you. How much more can we accomplish this year if we do it together? Cornerstone, don't be afraid.
to do what it is he is calling you to do this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect back on this year, the one constant that is always there and always will be is you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, as we push forward this year, Lord, I I do pray that we are a community that encourages one another, that leans on one another, that stays focused on you. Lord, you are calling us individually to do things as a community to do things, Lord, and we need each other and we need you. So Lord, will you show us the way? Lord, I, I pray we stay focused on you I pray that we are a people that are defined by you, a people that are forever and constantly worshiping you for who you really are. But I know there's gonna be hard times this year, but you are so much greater than anything this world can throw at us. Let us not lose sight of that. Let us lean on you and know that your love and your grace and your mercy, your power, it never runs out. And one day, one day, we will get to be fully glorified in your presence and truly, truly understand, maybe for the first time, what it's like to be loved, to bask in your presence for an eternity. And for that, we give praise, we give thanks, and we are eternally grateful. We love you, Lord. Amen.